You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome and fantastic and amazing episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your fearless and very humble leader, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by my partners in crime, Rick and Sean, we're going to distance ourselves from that sexy Irish guy because it's it's too cringe. So I just brought my friend, regular Sean. It has some cord on. Regular Sean and sexy SEO Rick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, happy Thanksgiving, guys. This is a great year and season. Uh, much improved over last year's uh, exciting events we've had. I think we're on the way to up and up. And so I love you all. I just want to say that because I'm thankful for all of you. So happy Thanksgiving. Yes. Yeah. You know, last year was the worst quarter that we've ever had because, uh, in fact, this is that's what actually prompted us to kind of start the whole crowdfunding nerds uh, thing. It turned out that I qualified for the paycheck protection program for our company because we had such a mass. It was like a 40 percent drop in revenue in quarter four last year over the year before that. I, I guess we we right around this time last year. Rick and I were talking, we thought, you know, we would start a podcast and change direction of our company a little bit. And it sure, well, actually, gosh, I, this was, yeah, it was last year. So yeah, we're just a few episodes away from our uh, one year anniversary. Oh my goodness. So yeah, that's, that, that was a good decision. <laughs> and, you know, thanks, Thanksgiving is all about, you know, bringing your family together, whether it's your, your actual family or your closer loved ones and friends. And that's what actually this episode is about. It's all about your family and community for your upcoming crowdfunding game. Hey, yes. look at that. I just rolled right into it. Oh, wow. <laughs> Seamless transition. So Woo. that's what you call a rook roll. <laughs> you got I'm rolling. You see oh me goodness. rolling. Yeah. So, yeah. So the, the, the whole purpose of this episode is to talk about not only the importance of creating a community before your crowdfunding event, but we really want to drill down and explain to you what we see that actually works with our clients in regard to community. Because you hear, I mean, it just is one of those adages, you know, you need to have a community or you might hear you need a Facebook group or a Facebook page or, or I mean, a number of things that you might think constitutes a community. But I'm here to tell you that a lot of the time, our clients have it wrong. Um, before they come to us, they come to us with what they think is something like an asset that they're bringing to the table. And it's not really something that we can leverage at all. And that mm -hmm. is kind of frustrating for us and them because, you know, when we have to tell someone that, hey, your community is not actually a community, you know, and it's not going to help you during your Kickstarter, it tends to hurt some feelings sometimes. Give an example. Okay. So there was a, a client that recently came to us with 3,800 Kickstarter followers and they were going to launch in less than a month. And the problem with Kickstarter followers as the core of what it is that you do is that they, you can't communicate with them. So you might have, I mean, everybody wants, you know, 3,800 followers on their project. But they don't want 3,800 followers on their project that don't convert. They want a hefty chunk of those people to convert, right? And that's the whole goal of the community is to make people buy your thing, make people care about your thing enough 
and get excited enough that they actually spend their money on it. And the whole idea behind the community is to turn people that were interested into raving fans that can't wait for your thing and that will actually do all of your marketing for you. So first, let's kind of take a little bit of a step back and look at a community from a bird's eye view. What is a community? How would you define a community? You know, people have like their favorite radio station in the car or favorite TV show. And it's great because that's the common interest, but that's not technically a community where it's one-ended communication. So a community is something that you actually have two-way communication between all parties interested in, the, in whatever it is. And it's the, the main important part is interaction. And the, the second main important part is actually being there. Um, I think we also had a client that had a very uh, large uh, community, but stopped sending them messages or in, uh, interacting with them and they sort of, uh, you know, it became a problem because people dropped out, got became an administrator. When they got a message like, what is this, you know, and forgot about it. So two-way communication that's with you, between you and your audience, as well as active communication between you and your audience. I don't want to sound like a, a GameFound fanboy, but I'm turning into one because the followers on GameFound are far more valuable than your followers on Kickstarter because you can communicate with them through game updates. So when you update, GameFound will then send an email to everyone who's following your page. Not only that, as you're doing your pre-marketing, you're actually feeding your pixel. So you're getting all this pixel data of all these followers. So by the time you actually launch, you've got this huge audience that you can now leverage in your live campaign, Facebook advertising. You can exclude everyone who's gone to the page. You can uh, create look-like audience. So it's, it's very, very effective. Uh, but the key there is communicating with people. But we probably need to make a distinction between uh, these terms because GameFound is now on the scene and it's superior in certain aspects. In fact, just as a quick side note, I believe we got GameFound. Uh, we're going to be doing some GameFound interviews up in the, in the very future here on this podcast. Uh, isn't that right, Sean? Yeah, we're going to be getting uh, some of the, the team members uh, behind the scenes look into GameFound, be able to ask them all their questions. So if you have any questions for the guys at GameFound, certainly let us know. Send those in to us and we'll make sure we ask them. And we're really going to basically dive deep and see what are their plans and how they're innovating and what they're going to do moving forward. So it's going to be really interesting. Looking really, I'm looking forward to it. Briefly, I, I discussed what I thought a community was. Maybe, maybe Andrew, you can get a little more detail on what you think a community is is and what communities would work when you're promoting your 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 Kickstarter or crowdfunding or or whatever platform you use um, yeah. for crowdfunding. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned you know two way communication and really I guess the 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 things that were very memorable about what you said was interaction, you know, and being there so that not only can these people in your community talk to you, but that you will respond to them. I think that that's so important. Um, one thing that I love about what a community can do is, you know, people all the time, I'll, I will have sent an art piece and say, Hey guys, what do you think of this finished art piece that's done and is not getting any more changes? And then someone will say, I don't like this one thing. I want it changed. And, you know, we'll have a discussion about that. And it's like, you know, maybe something does need to get changed. And, you know, for that one individual person to see that their feedback mattered, they always appreciate that. And then many others that just listen and watch and, you know, like, like a wallflower, they 
also appreciate that. So they feel like you are a person who listens to them and it's not just your idea that you personally are making, but it's a thing that they can kind of rally behind because it's their game too. You know, if they, if they are, uh, a lot of the time we, we have this emotional need to attach ourselves to sports teams, to certain, you know, companies or popular actors, let's say people that we really like, um, we don't really know them, but we feel like they are a part of, or like we're a part of what it is that they're doing. Right. I think that in a, in a small way, a board game designer that has a community of people behind them, you can kind of look at that person and compare them to an actor or whatever who has a community behind them as well. The community behind the board game designers behind them because they really like the product that they make and they feel like that product is something that that is made for them. And I think that enhance, you know, a great community really enhances that feeling of feeling like not not just like they belong somewhere, but that this thing that we're doing, we're doing together. We're not like, I'm not watching you doing it. I'm not watching you running a race or something. And I'm on the sidelines saying, good, good job. You know, I'm actually involved in the race with you. You know, that's what I really like as far as the community goes. I think you just defined what community was as well uh, within this context of board game marketing is that it's to communicate to your fans, to your followers, that it's their game as well and involving them in that process and those decisions. So that's that's really key. I think that's the highlight of what you said there. It's, I mean, who are you making the game for? I guess is the ultimate question. Are, now, some people want to make a game for themselves, but if you want to sell, you got to make it for others. And so, of course, getting direct feedback from others who are interested in your game is phenomenal. I mean, you can, you can, go, so, you can go really far with the knowledge you get I guess this might lead up to another question um, that I'm not sure if we've ever asked or talked about on the, on the podcast, but how much should we allow our community to sway our uh, Kickstarter? Like, uh, you know, the, the actual aspects of the game or whatever we're working on, you know, the, like the mechanics or the aesthetics or stuff. How, how, how far would we go to make changes for our community? You know, I, all the time with my community, with Deliverance, there are plenty of suggestions that I turn down. I think that, you know, in order to run a community effectively, you need to be the one running it. It's, you know, or rather, you know, in order to do a good job on a board game, there has to be one person that's like the lead designer, lead developer, and that makes the final decision because not every suggestion by the community is going to going to be a good one. I think the the main thing for me is that people need to feel heard. Like you can you actually considered what it is that they had to say and you know oftentimes people are wrong when they're giving you criticism or constructive feedback in their, you know, with like if you're developing a board game and they play tested it and then they say, "Oh, I felt like I was weak because of blah blah blah," you know, and Maybe they lost the game or something like that. So they'll give you a little bit more critical feedback. Or maybe people that that won the game and dominated, they're like, oh, I love this game. I don't have any feedback. You know, it's like, but you you really need to read between the lines and think, why does this person why is this person saying that? And, you know, what was the reality? Maybe that one strategy that they leveraged was completely broken 
And, you know, I had one guy who was like, I love this game. You know, I found this infinite combo and just dominated the highest difficulty. It's like, ah, I have to break that combo now, you know? <laughs> and uh, he, he just absolutely loved the game and was sold on backing it and, and everything. But I know that infinite combos don't belong in my game, you know? So a lot of the time, you know, people that give feedback, they're giving it because they care about the thing. And that's, I think, one of the most important things to recognize is that anybody that talks to you that takes time out of their day to actually say something about your product or your game or in, in, in any relation to it, they care about it. And what you need to do is listen to them and foster that care and just say, you know, I mean, it, it's a simpler thing to say, thanks for your feedback, but it's even better to ask a follow-up question. Even if you intend on not you know, using that feedback, sometimes you can drill deeper and they just appreciate you for responding back to them. And Andrew, when you reply to people, do you tend to do that as soon as you see the correspondence or do you delay? Because from my experience with community building, the, the temptation is to say, oh, I'll respond to that later because I'm busy right now. But then you never do. And it's sort of just, you know, they, 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 don't, they don't get a response then. So do you have a, a practice in place where you at a certain time of the day, you go and you respond to messages or do you do it on the fly? What's your sort of strategy? I, I would say for something like this, a lot of people that you know are listening to this podcast will have a day job in addition to what it is that their passion is of designing a board game or or you know whatever crowdfunding product that they have. So I do it like you alluded to right away. Whenever I see it, whenever I'm if I'm browsing social media and I hit let's say my Facebook notifications, I see that notification. If I decide to wait on that notification, I am making a choice not to respond is basically the way I look at it. If you decided to open up your social media and you prioritize one thing or over another, scrolling your newsfeed on Facebook instead of responding to the people that commented on your thing, Facebook is going to bury those responses and, and it's, it's an algorithm trying to figure out what you interact with. So if you're not interacting with this group, it's not going to show you posts from that group first. It's going to bury those. And so you want to make sure that you are responding right away. And, you know, I, I personally am not such a fan of like hitting, hitting the like button on someone's comment. I don't think that that counts as true interaction. However, you know, you can't always give everybody a one paragraph response. I do think that it's as important for others to see that you are responding sometimes as it is for them to be the one that you responded to. So, you know, I, I do think that it is important and time sensitive to respond. However, you know, if you miss it for a few days, sometimes I'll actually comment and say that like, Hey, sorry, I missed this and uh, answer their question and tag them or whatever. Certain things like discord rely on routine communication. So, you know, I always have the discord app, up on my phone or my desktop and um, the, uh, you know, just to be able to respond to people right away is valuable. And sometimes, you know, the conversation breaks when, you know, breaks down when you, when you're not there for a week or whatever. Well, I was just going to say, it's sort of, there's, there's two factors I think that are at play. One, it depends on the, the platform. Like, like Andrew was saying, Discord is more of a communication. It reminds me of like, you know, back in the days when we had uh, IRC, that's also before uh, Sexy Irish Sean's time. Don Dollop, is it? AOL Messenger. Anyway, that's more of that. Now, Facebook, I think sometimes, depending on what the question or the statement is that someone posts, 
I think sometimes it's actually okay to let it air out a little bit and let people uh, say a few things first before you jump in. Um, I know it's, there's some cases where someone might like bash something on your game. And all of a sudden, if you have like a really super fan, they might come back and be like, oh, no, that's great because of this. And so they sort of did the work for you. Um, and, and in cases like that, you know, sometimes the community has opposing views and it's, it's actually okay to let them, you know, each say their side. And, and then it's sort of, sort of like Jerry Springer back in the old days where, you know, they just come out and start fighting each other and eventually they calm down. And then Jerry at the end would be like, you have like this philosophical saying at the end, you know, really nice and polite. And that was the episode. And I think you could do some, that the same way with some of these, some of the Facebook interactions, uh, you know, especially if it's something that, that may be controversial or may have multiple thoughts on, on a process or, me, or a mechanism. We say, hey, what do you guys think of this? And, you know, let it, let it sort of stew. And then at the end, you know, you can make your sort of final comment or, or whatever. So, Andrew, with the state of the, how the Internet is set up today, where, you know, you go to a Facebook group and nearly all of them universally say no self-promotion, no spam, you know, certain places just automatically block any links that go off these platforms. These platforms also designed to keep traffic on these platforms as well. Is it possible to grow a community today in 2021, nearly 2022, without spending a significant amount of capital to actually get eyeballs on your content? How do you get people to actually engage with your content if you're not spending money? Is it possible to grow a community without money whatsoever? Or at some point, are you going to have to throw in uh, some money to actually build that community? Uh, so the answer is yes, it is possible to do this without money. It's necessary to do this without money as well, because really what we're talking about is organic communication. And you absolutely need to foster you know, you, you need to figure out a technique that will bring people in organically to what it is that you're doing. You may have, let's say, for example, you go to a convention and you pay for a ticket and you get people to demo your game at the convention and they get excited. It may, yeah, maybe it costs you the ticket. It costs you your hotel room and, and that sort of thing. But what you're doing is you're meeting people where they are and communicating with them in whatever medium that they're comfortable. So this one of the things you you can't pay for that type of engagement, like to meet somebody where they are as a, a peer and establish a connection with them is not something that you can do if you're paying money to do that. It's like you're in a, um, a lot of people will say, oh, you know, this is a sponsor or a, somebody that runs a booth or whatever. It's not going to be organic. It's going to be, hey, I, you know, I'm a customer interested in the thing that you have. And that's the interaction that you, that you get versus, you know, you're sitting down and saying, Hey, I have this game that I'm, you know, looking to, to play. You, you, you guys want to try it. I'm looking to play test this. Uh, people say, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll do you a favor equal. You sound like a drug peddler. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm, you want to try this? Yeah. What is it? I'll calling? give you a little sample. Yeah. And you can I, buy it later. <laughs> I'm peddling happiness. Like you were talking about how there's like groups out there that say no, no spamming, no advertising, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of other ways around it. In fact, the, I think I talked about this in a previous podcast. It hasn't really changed. You know, Facebook, uh, like it's just like forum marketing. If, if you're really into the, the product or service or the crowdfunding game that you want to promote, your whole life is pretty much already surrounded by that. So you're going to have, you know, you're going to have a, uh, a, a, your profile, or in this case, your Facebook, you know, your personal Facebook page or, or your business page or whatever page you create that you use to connect to these groups is going to already have the game. So you don't even have to like 
you know, you can join these groups that say don't spam. Just make sure you provide really good information. And if someone really likes that information or, or, or you know, feels like it's about value, they're going to look at your profile and be like, who's this guy? This guy's giving out really good stuff. And then they go, oh, he's making a cool game. You know, um, it's it's all about providing value at the same, you know, but at the same time in the, in the back end, you're still sort of, you know, you're, it's your baby. So you're going you're gonna to talk about it and people are going to find out just, just from getting to know uh, you through these forums and, and, and Facebook groups and whatnot. You need to do organic marketing first because if it's not working without paying money, it probably won't work if you pay money because money is just really going to amplify what's working. So you, you yeah. need to work out and figure out what is actually moving the needle with your project, with your game. It's actually engaging people. And then you can enhance that through money. I suppose you could spend money to figure that out faster, but most people don't want to just throw money into the wind. So it's a, it's a good idea to experiment doing organic stuff and see, is, is there a demand for this? Do I need to change the messaging? What's really moving the needle? What's getting people to, to uh, talk and get to engage? And you can leverage that with your paid advertising down the road. Yeah, that's huge. Extremely huge. And I think that that, that lesson... You know, I had this, I wanted to kind of address and touch on this topic. Can you just do this by paying money? You know, like when we were young, we all put like 12 hours a day into whatever our favorite game was, World of Warcraft. And eventually it became something that was like, all right, I need to balance my job and World of Warcraft and my family responsibilities and that sort of thing. So I'm going to, you know, maybe pay a little bit, uh, you know, I, I'm back in the day, it's like Chinese gold farmers or Russian gold farmers, like <laughs> that would help. Right. I, I bought my Epic Mount because I paid somebody, you know, for whatever 600 gold that I needed, or I don't know that type of thing. It, it doesn't really work in marketing. You can't like, there's not a shortcut by paying money. I don't think so. I, I think that if you're looking for a shortcut by paying money instead of your organic work, um, that's a mistake. Uh, don't don't think that you can pay money to make the uh, marketing, you know, all the marketing work. Like you actually need to engage people and have them care about the thing that you're marketing. But at, at the same time, though, you also want to start saving money while you're doing this 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 non non cost. Well, everything costs something. Of course, it costs your time to do organic marketing. But you, at the same time, you also want to save money. So when you get ready for that that uh, awesome launch you're going to have, you have a budget to advertise to your community as well as outside your community. In fact, um, our specialty is pre-marketing. So we we help help you build your community before you launch your game. But like I said, we've had some some clients who, uh, in fact, here I'm going to I'm going to ask Andrew this um, as an example, just in case uh, it hasn't been covered. But let's say I'm 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 a, I have my Kickstarter game and I I. I don't really know anything about you know, I don't have a community. I'm just making my game, so I want to make it, and I'm going to launch it. And I'm going to launch it in two months. What can your what what can crowdfunding new nerds uh, uh, do for me and get me ready to, for my launch in two months? So the, the first thing is that we would establish the first. Oh, sorry, sorry, uh, it got moved up. Two months is Christmas, so I got I got to sell it next month. So it's it's going on. In, in oh, no. Three weeks. We're launching in three weeks. What what can you do? Yeah, yeah. I I mean. I pray that your virtuous cycle system is set up in a way that I can just leverage because that's a really short amount of time. I honestly, you, for the most part, unless somebody does have an established community that has, you know, where they have a Facebook group, they have a discord, they have some, you know, an email system, uh, email marketing system, something that they've been leveraging. And I'm just stepping into that. Um, 
you know, into a, into a system that's already working at a, you know, 70% efficiency or whatever. Um, those people I can help and it's not a problem, but someone that's like, Hey, I'm new and this is my first game and I've been working on it for 10 years and I can't wait to finally launch it, um, on Thanksgiving day, uh, or black Friday. It's like, you know, you should delay your project or we won't take it. You know, that's, I mean, we actually had this debate what is it yesterday or a few days ago about a client that seemed to have a lot of good things going for them. And we just kept, I, I mean, I personally kept going back and forth on if we should take them or not, just simply because, you know, I hate turning people away because I want to help people. I don't want to abandon people in their moment of need, but at the same time, I just don't want to take money from people when I don't think it's going to work or when I don't think the service is going to be of value. So, and we've had some lessons learned where we've taken on some clients and sometimes our hands are tied on how much we can help. And I suppose their expectations were higher than uh, we were able to deliver just because there's certain things working against their campaign, which are out of our, it's out of our control. Mm -hmm. so, Captain, I'm giving her all she's got. Yeah. yeah. We're not, we're not miracle workers, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, and I, I think that one lesson just I, there's this case study that I'll that I'll say a uh, firsthand case study, not of a client of ours, but of a project I backed and one that I I'm really looking forward to. It's called Iridia. This game really didn't have much marketing. Let's say uh, they didn't spend anything on Facebook ads as, as far as I could tell. They spent quite a lot of you know they they had a very heavy asking price of seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in order to fund. Uh, it was a really big game. A lot of you know painted like pre-painted miniatures and and things like that really big box and and whatnot and they funded like 1.5 million it was it was a really great campaign uh maybe even higher i think but they they didn't have what you what i would call a traditional community that what they you know and and you know in let's say a, a discord and a facebook group and and that kind of thing what they did have was a fantastic product in a previous game that people really loved. So Zia is, um, you know, on just a, a game that really, really appeals to a certain type of person. And it's something that brought them a lot of notoriety and a lot of fans just because they really loved the product. Now they decided, they announced Aridia is, was going to happen just a couple of weeks before it went live on Kickstarter. And it got such notoriety and such excitement from the community at large because you had fans of Zia saying, oh my goodness, I love Zia. It's my favorite board game of all time and I can't wait for this game here. And when you have a fan that's so excited like that, they get all their friends excited. And you know their communities that they travel in get really excited. And then you know you have a half a million dollar day one or whatever. And that's, it was huge. And it, you know, some people would say it kind of came out of nowhere, but it didn't come out of nowhere. It came out of a very successful product that people really loved. And so I think that's just such a great example of the product is such a necessary component in all of this equation. Um, another important thing I think we, I don't think we've actually discussed in this podcast is about segmenting your community. You're going to have, your community isn't just like fans and not fans. You actually have different levels of fanaticism 
and you have some psychotic ones that are like super uh, mm-hmm. becomes a cult, religious, etc. <laughs> how would you how would you segment your community? Like how do you determine the super fans from the not super fans? How do you market to the super fans versus not super fans? Like for example, uh, you know, like I would say, like if I was running a crowdfunding um, game and I was getting ready to launch on Kickstarter. I'd have a segmented list of just my super fans where I'd be like, okay, we're going to do a pre-launch show in, you know, three hours prior. Here's the link. And we're going to be doing, you know, this is the launch live. Here's the link. Whereas opposed to my other fans who don't want as much communication, but are interested in the game, I would actually like flag those to, to send them messages later on, like maybe a couple days down saying, Hey, just want to let you know, we launched the game. Here's the link. That way, when you're at your, your, your lull, uh, after your first uh, 48 hours, when it starts to your sales start going down, you can actually push them up using your community. But there's people out there who, who you know, who want to know like every minute what you're doing. Like you're like the Twitter of your of your of your community, and then you have people who are like, ah, just send me a monthly update. And you know, yep. yeah, I don't want to join no Discord. <laughs> uh, maybe you can maybe you could talk uh, about how you've segmented some of your fans and things you've done, you know, between those segments. Yeah. So I think that the the most important thing is just that you need to give people the opportunity to engage with you and people that are more super fans are going to more regularly engage. Uh, and you'll just recognize those people. I find those people tend to make really great play testers and, you know, you can ask them more directly for feedback and that kind of thing which is really great. They val- they definitely value your personal interaction. If you kind of foster and cultivate those relationships, um, that will reward you later with, you know, on launch day and then every day after launch. I've had, I have people on my campaign that were like, hey, everybody, you know, reminding everybody to go to KickTrack to click on the, the link so that we were number one on KickTrack and, and other things like that. And, you know, that were the champions of the social stretch goals. They were like, everybody, we need to share this. We need to share that. And, you know, we need to unlock these, these stretch goals or whatever. Those people, more often than not, they, they volunteer themselves and they just have such passion in the thing that you made. I just think that the way that I treat them is like, um, you know, I try to treat them as much as I can, like an equal, like, hey, we're both excited about this thing. And, uh, you know, we're just talking about it like super fans, even though it's a thing that I made, that's almost in, in some ways, like aside from the point is that we're both, we both can't wait for this to ha- to, to come out, you know? And um, so that's how I kind of treat those people. It's hard to kind of uh, delineate rather. I, I kind of am not sure if I would encourage people to kind of pick those out and then market to them separately. I think that let's say you send an email blast out to your whole list, let's just say is a thousand people and you have like a hundred of those people. I, I would say, let's, let's just say are like the core super fans. You know, if you were to send the email out to everybody, let's just say your open rate is going to be uh, keeping it simple, like 30% for your first open and then 20% for your resend, something like that. So overall, I know these numbers are weird. You've got 300 people that opened your first email. And then of the resend to the people who hadn't opened, you get another 20%, which is of 700, that's going to be 140 more. So you'll get 440 total opens from your list, which is 44% of your list if you're adding all those people up together. Now, let's say you were to take out those 100 super fans and send them a blast. I would say, you know, 80% 80% of the super fans would have opened that email. 20% might have missed it or whatever, um, at least the email or the resend. But if you were to take out 
you know, and so that's, let's say, I don't know, a hundred people total that were super fans that open your email, but let's say you take that out and you email them separately. And then you email the rest of the list. What's going to happen is instead of 30% of the people opening your first email, it's going to be 20 or, or less, right? Because all of those people that are pretty much slam dunks looking for your monthly update, those people aren't there to open. And what Google's going to see is an email that's not really very well engaged with. And so they're going to, you're basically going to be penalized. I would go, you know, if you took a hundred emails of your super fans out of that initial e-blast and resend, instead of having a total of 440 people that I did with quick math open, you're probably going to get lucky if you have 300, maybe 250. And so I think that your super fans are a very help. Uh, they, they show other systems like Facebook, Discord, or your you know MailChimp that you have a healthy, thriving list and a message that people want to hear. And uh, you know because these a lot of these systems that we use to communicate are algorithm. Or they have an algorithm trying to tell if what it is that you sent was actually interesting or if it was spam or whatever. Talking about algorithms. This is key to understanding how Kickstarter works. I think a lot of people have the assumption that if I go to Kickstarter, the crowd is there and that's what how I'm going to get backers because everyone's there. I just launch a project and then people will find it and then and back it. But the reality is, is that you have to bring your crowd to crowdfunding. You have to yeah. go to Kickstarter with the crowd because the only way that algorithm is going to select you and push your content because there's only so much space on the homepage or on the suggested, they've got to pick something. Why would they pick your project which has no followers when they could pick a project where some some person has brought a bunch of people, they've all backed, it's making money. And, that, and the mind of Kickstarter as a business, they're going to push and promote whatever project is going to make them the most money. So if you can bring a, a community who's backing ferociously and there's lots of engagement and Kickstarter say, great, this is a project that's making lots of money. We're going to push this as much as we can. Uh, so that that's key to understanding Kickstarter and the crowdfunding space in general is that their monetization system is based upon how much money that you can make them or how much money can your campaign raise. And it's going to promote you in accordance to how many people you can get and bring to the platform, which they would then help and encourage. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a symbiotic relationship. And that's something you have to keep in mind when going to Kickstarter. You have to go with the crowd. So Andrew, we've talked about uh, super fans and how to interact with them. And you know your community is quite large. It's quite engaged. How do you deal with people who maybe are a bit nefarious, or we could even say, or just maybe uncomely? Where mm -hmm. I suppose they're the community. I think leeches, they call it trolls. You know, I think well, uncomely not, not, is what they called the, you know, in the 14th, like the Reformation. <laughs> pa passive aggressive? Well, yeah, you could have trolls, but then you also have people who are um, spammers, right? They're oh, there okay. to try and leech your community. They want to drive people out of your community to their community, mm. or they're trying to direct your community to their product. How do you deal with these types of things? Because I suppose we've all had to be there at some stage. How, how do you interact with individuals who might be sincere, but maybe a bit pushy or are mm -hmm. sort of leave a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah. So um, first thing is I try to encourage people that have 
um, like honest intentions that are just maybe a little bit clumsy about how they're going about it. I will actually encourage people to share their product. You know, if they feel like it'd be a good fit for the people in, let's say my deliverance Facebook group, I'll, I'm totally cool with them sharing their Kickstarter link and they, you know, and they, they'll ask me oftentimes, like, is this okay to share? And I'll be like, yeah, sure. And just say that I said you could share it. And they'll actually talk about their game and give context to what it is that they are sharing. I don't think that that annoys people. If it annoys people in the very least, they can just scroll right past it. And it's not really any skin off anybody's nose, but that one person that got to share kind of appreciates that. Now, there are other cases, many, many times somebody will just simply share something from another group. I get people sharing, you know, even things that I agree with, you know, like a religious uh, post or something like that in, in the deliverance group that has zero context. And I always delete them and I'll respond again, even if it's, you know, Billy Graham with his famous, um, you know, uh, candle example of like, starting with one candle and lighting all the candles in the entire stadium. And what, you know what I'm talking about? I don't know if you no. know. <laughs> okay. Anyway. So some like classic thing that I know exactly what that is. If there's no context, I delete it. I want my members to know why they should care about whatever that is. Why should they waste, you know, five seconds or two seconds, you know, evaluating whatever that person posted. And if it's not abundantly clear as to why this, content is relevant to my audience, it gets deleted. So Okay, so that, there's an interesting insight then. So when you're crafting your own community posts, you have to exp you have to somehow communicate how this post is relevant to them. Yeah. Even if it's just like something simple, like sometimes memes, they explain themselves and they don't require you to, you know, sure. write or whatever, but it's just funny and people engage and whatnot. But if you're sharing something, even if it's like a a Kickstarter post or, or if it's, I don't know, like a news article or whatever, I want to know why people in my group should care about what it is that you shared. And if you didn't provide any context, sometimes what I'll do is I will, you know, it, I, I do have post mod moderation turned on in my group. So any post that's made is, is one that gets approved for the most part. I have moderators that will approve things and whatnot if I'm gone or whatever. Um, and the, you know, every once in a while something makes it past the filter, but for the most part, things get rejected in that, you know, that are completely, you know, out of context or whatever will, or, or missing context will get rejected. And a note will be sent to that person saying, Hey, just to let you know, you know, I would like it if you would add context, you know, it might be something that I, even that I agree with, but I want my listeners to know why this is being shared here. And, um, you know, because I don't want my community to become a group of just unengaged spam, you know, I mean, there's so much mm -hmm. spam that happens. And I think that the reason for that is just because you're just trying to spend as little effort and energy as possible to get any result at all. Most of the time, that's, that's what group, that's what groups want. They want, if you're going to self-promote Make sure that it is relevant to the audience and oftentimes just clear it with an admin. You know, well, sometimes so what I've seen is you have groups that they present themselves as being, oh yeah, this is a group, let's say it's about a general broad topic like families. This is family group and we welcome families here. 
and no self-promotion but then all the all the admins do is promote their products about families yeah. so like they break their own rules and that's just i find that infuriating you know well i mean to be honest isn't anything that we say self-promotion practically like even when you add your two cents to a your opinion to <laughs> to something that's isn't that like you're promoting your idea right <laughs> but, if, but, but if, if you block everyone's links to their shop but you have links to your shop then there's a there's a contradiction there. That's called yeah. being conceited. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we are we are almost out of time for this podcast, but before we wrap it up, I had one more topic I think we should discuss. And that is how do you handle your community after your crowdfunding event's over? We've done it, you've done your pre-marketing, we've you know, we've gone through it. Mm-hmm. A couple things that I would like to say is always be honest with your community and always com- continue to communicate constantly. Um, and let me give you an, an example, a recent example. I, I, I've been, for some reason, on an eBay splurge recently. And uh, last week, I, I saw an item I wanted, and I bought it on eBay. And a week later, this week, it, it came in, and I'm looking at it. And you know, I had pictures and stuff on the listing, and I'm looking at the item. I'm like, well, there's scratches and smudges here, and there's dents here. And I don't see on the picture. And then I look, and this is a, it's, a, it's an electronic item, so it's got a serial number on it. And I'm like, the serial numbers don't even match the picture. I mean, this person's a fraud. They sent me, you know, and I was just livid. I was about ready to pull out that, you know, negative eBay review and say what a horrible loser this person is because they, they, uh, they just, you know, they just, they're frauds and whatnot. But I, I calmed down a little bit and sent him a message. And I said, hey, you know, I, I really wanted the one that was in the picture. Um, I got sent this other one with a different serial number. Here's the serial number I got. Um, is there anything we could do to fix this? And actually, they were really good, and they responded right away and apologized. They said uh, they they made the mistake of of showing the serial number and the one the one set of pictures when they actually had three units that they were selling under the same listing. Even though it, it looked like there was only one um, on it, because on your end you only saw the one. Um, and so they actually said, you know, we don't have the one that was in the picture, but let me, you know, tomorrow let me get back to you with a whole bunch. We have a couple more. Let me send you pictures of each one and see if that will work for you. So, you know, even though it was their mistake and I was livid, uh, they were able to communicate effectively and actually were in the process of working it out. So that's my two cents. But uh, how would you handle your uh, community um, and your and your fans uh, after the Kickstarter is over? Yeah, yeah, I love the, you know, the idea behind being honest. I think, you know, to first of all, kind of play off of what you just shared, it's only when a company screws up that they are that they have the opportunity to show their quality. You know, um, I it's the best opportunity to show a company's quality right after something goes wrong. You know, I've had people that expected one thing and and got another, and they were annoyed. And it's like, hey, uh, you know, let's let's fix it. You know, I, like sometimes in web development, you know, when we build a website, they expected there was going to be a particular thing, a particular page. And maybe, you know, if they were to have have added another page at that point, it would cost more or something like that. We would, you know, always, if that's what they expected, you know, then we would, instead of saying, oh, well, you need to pay $50 for that or whatever. It's like, yeah, let's take care of that for you. I'm sorry about that. And here you go. You know, it's a much better thing to get somebody that is, you know, really happy with your service and, you know, you messed up and they made it better. That actually is a better testimonial than somebody that just got a good product the first time. Right. And, um, so it's, it's an opportunity to show your quality. So, 
Um, now one thing in relation to what you were saying, Rick, and you were asking me about, um, after your Kickstarter is over, the community is going to be fatigued. So community fatigue is a real thing and that we should probably talk about. But um, before I get into that, I think setting expectations for, for your cadence of communication is very important. How often, what content that, you know, should your backers expect to hear from you? The worst thing you can do is go silent. That's the only bad thing that you can do. The rest is update with news, whether it's good news, bad news, anything, any news is better than no communication at all. So what I um, trained my uh, insiders to expect is once a month. So they get communication once a month and that's toward the end of the month. Um, I do a Kickstarter update and, and that sort of thing. And you know, I give them all the lowdown on all the things that are happening. This last month, I actually told them, hey, I'm going to be moving and I'm, I'm selling my house and I need to basically extend the, the, um, the delivery or the manufacturing date to after I finish moving. I built like three or four months, about three and a half months of like project buffer time. So I, I said, you know, this probably won't affect yeah, I mean, in theory, this isn't going to affect the shipping date, although we know other things come up, but you know, we're going to need to delay manufacturing for one to two months so that I can actually move and do a good job for you guys and make sure the game is good and, and all of that. And everybody was extremely supportive. Like, I am so happy for you, Andrew, that you're getting a bigger house because you have lots of children and whatever, <laughs> you know, and these are Kickstarter backers. They they actually care about me and each of my little kids and all of that. Right. And, um, you know, enough to say, you do what you got to do. We are encouraging you. Right. But if, uh, you know, whenever, but it's funny because every time we get really close to the end of the month, I start, you know, you can get like, you can nudge a Kickstarter creator as a uh, backer. You can nudge a creator and say, I want an update. And I know it's like, I start getting three or four people nudging me for updates. I know that they're like, some of the super fans that are like, it's about time. When's it coming? You know, and, and uh, they're, they're actually going and looking for some kind of update and um, they know it's coming soon. And I've never had a problem with somebody as long as I, you know, release an update in a timely manner. But uh, I just, you know, I think that's funny, but setting expectations for how often you're going to communicate. I know Isaac Childers of uh, Gloomhaven fame with uh, Cephalofair games, Gloomhaven and Frosthaven and, they um, update like once every three weeks and Jamie Stegmeier updates, you know, sends an email out like on the first of the month, every single month. But the, the important thing is routine cadence, how often just make it consistent and what content, the content should be content that's meaningful to your backers. And um, to kind of circle back to this idea of community fatigue, if you're asking people to be hardcore about your product, you know, leading up to the Kickstarter, you want them to tell everybody. And during the Kickstarter, you want them to like go to KickTrack every day and talk about it on Board Game Geek and Facebook and Discord and and play the game and introduce the game to new people or whatever. I mean, they're going to get worn out. Even your most hardcore fan is just going to get worn out. So you need to give people a rest afterward. I think that after a Kickstarter, a community can go into like hibernation sometimes. And it really is all about the actual product. So the opportunity, you kind of, 
everybody bought your thing and and is excited and you know the the first opportunity that you have to like reignite your community is when people are receiving the product so the only you know just try not to look like an idiot until you know that fails to communicate until people finally get your product then your facebook group is going to burn with with new light and your discord community is going to you know explode and and then your you know people are going to be ordering your product online because they played it at a friend's house or whatever and that type of thing but you have to give your community the ability to rest and for me you know i i had this organic effort that took like you know by the time i started marketing i think it was like two and a half years till i actually hit kickstarter and i had people that were like hardcore at the beginning that fell asleep somewhere a year in or whatever and that woke up again a few months before the kickstarter launched and that's gonna happen you know you you know if you have a long you know if it's a long time before your game launches or or you know after you finish your kickstarter between that time and the time that you actually deliver, you know, it's part of your community is going to fall asleep and that's okay. But I think on that note, I think uh, we're out of time for this week's episode of crowdfunding nerds. Uh, If you've enjoyed this episode, feel free to put a little thumbs up or rate us, give us a nice little rating on your favorite podcasting uh, application. And to listen to some previous episodes, visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. And you can also see the services we offer. And like I said earlier, These are services that we teach you how to do, but we'll do it for you if you're interested on our website as well. See you all next week and stay nerdy.